Greetings, everyone. This is Christopher Messina for Messy Times. Joining me in the studio, as ever, is my brilliant and light-entertaining co-host, James Langer. And we were especially delighted to have a special guest today, uh, Mr. Rick Beta, who is running for Senate seat in the state of New Jersey. Uh, we're not going to go through a whole lot of uh, uh, preparatory discussion. I think it makes a lot more sense to, to give you, uh, Rick, a sense of how we came to you in the first place and why we're so excited you're joining us. Um, in an early episode of Messy Times, we uh, uh, paid a lot of attention to the guys at Attila's Gym who were busy fighting the fascist Governor Murphy in your home state. And, we've, and we saw you mention that you had been active in, in supporting them in their efforts to keep their gym open rationally and the rest of it. So when we saw that and we saw that you were running against Spartacus and Cufflinks, Cory Booker, uh, we were very excited to have you on. So uh, we're not going to go through a whole lot of uh, intro before that. Perhaps uh, you'd like to tell us a bit about yourself and why you came to be running for Senate and you know whatever else you'd like everyone to know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Christopher, pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, look, there's, I have to start with my story because I think that's really important. It's what distinguishes me from my opponent, Cory Booker. My story started 50 years ago when my father immigrated here through the legal process. We didn't have much, came from poverty, flew here, 19 years old, came to JFK Airport, took a bus to Scranton, Pennsylvania, two feet of snow on the ground, looked for an Indian sounding name. He called them. They took him in, gave him a hot meal and a roof over his head. And that's how we got our start in this country. We had to work hard. He worked two jobs. So did my mother. They met at Temple University in Philadelphia. They got married in 1974. Both myself and my sister have been blessed. We've been allowed to live the American dream through hard work. In fact, my story is like many people here in New Jersey and all across America. It's hard work, humble beginnings, and the belief that the American dream is available to anyone willing to chase it. And that American dream is under attack in New Jersey. We have a tone-deaf governor that continues to trample on our constitutional rights. He continues to crush our small businesses. Our economy has tanked, and he has an overreach of government in trying to tackle the COVID crisis. In fact, so much so that he's led New Jersey into the highest number of COVID deaths per 100,000 than any other state in the country. And that's unacceptable. As a former public health official, I'll tell you right now, I'm gonna continue to fight for that, fight for our small businesses, end the COVID scare, and finally get people back to work so they can live the American dream. Absolutely, that's a fantastic platform. And, and once again, I'm absolutely delighted to have you here. Uh, we're blessed to have uh, your words of wisdom and to hear the enlightenment that you can bring us. Our goal here at Messy Times is to cut through uh, the morass of noise out there created by the media and get right to the facts. And, you know, love to hear a little bit more about how you're helping small businesses and maybe give a couple of specific examples on your platform as it relates to small businesses relative to what's currently going on in the state. Yeah, absolutely. So let me tell you a little bit more about myself. I went to pharmacy school, became a pharmacist. It's where I met my wife, and that's where we had our three children. After, during pharmacy school, I worked at Robert Wood Johnson Hospital. I put myself through law school where I worked overnights at the hospital so I can go to Rutgers Law. When I graduated, I went to the FDA, serve my country, fight against illegal drugs, fight against big pharma and those that are marketing unapproved opioids. I worked hard at that, and when I left public health and ran a health department, I came back to start my own small businesses. Which brings me to the point of feeling so compelled to act during this time. You know, one of the things that I did was open up my campaign site, as you mentioned, at Attila's Gym. 
Now, the governor has been ruthlessly beating up this small business owner who's just trying to make a living, put food on the table for their family, and continue to live their American dream. They've had no COVID cases. In fact, when you look at the data and you stratify it, more than half of the COVID deaths that we've had were in long-term care facilities and nursing homes, not in gyms or restaurants. So 25% closure makes no sense. We continue to stand up to the governor and his draconian measures, his one-sided restrictions that crush our small businesses. In fact, right now, Governor Murphy here in New Jersey is sitting on billions of dollars of federal aid. Billions of dollars that hasn't been distributed to small businesses that continue to shutter left and right. In fact, our American dream here in New Jersey, the backbone of our economy being small businesses, more than 60% have shut, more than 30% may never reopen. That's what we're doing. We're standing up to Governor Murphy. We're demanding he releases those funds. We continue to reach out and we continue to have political events to point out the hypocrisy in our elected officials all throughout the state among the Democrats. That's excellent. Well, uh, one of the things that we've most fascinated about, because I'm sitting here in the state of Florida, uh, whom the media, of course, hates, because Ron DeSantis 10 days ago said, the Wuhan panic is over. The state has no more compelling interest in telling anyone what to do. If you as a private business owner would like to keep your restaurant capacity at half, half, half capacity, if you'd like to ask people to wear a mask, that's entirely within your right. But the state has no more interest in compelling anyone what to do. You'll notice uh, the media has gone silent because we clamored very heavily. I'm very heavily involved with my local school district. Uh, we demanded, we did everything we could to make sure that the fear mongers didn't allow them to keep the schools closed, right? So the schools are open, 58,000 people, adults and children in the school system for seven weeks, 280 positive tests for COVID, no hospitalizations, no deaths, no serious illness. So, of course, the media has stopped talking about Ron DeSantis because it's working. Uh, and what, what we've thought about, we'd love to have your comments. We've advocated, and clearly talk is cheap, but I would say to most small business owners, you're already going bankrupt. If every business owner in New Jersey opened the doors tomorrow, what are right. they going to do about it? And I'd, I'd just like to add to that what's has been one of the most important pieces of news that I think has come out relative to the policies associated with lockdowns and shutdowns is that two days ago, the World Health Organization came out and said lockdowns do not work as it relates to COVID. So that is being covered up by the media. It's not being... Uh, put into the media as it should be, but but the evidence is out there that uh, that lockdowns don't work. So um, you know, love to hear your comments on on both Christopher and I's perspective. Well, no. So here it is, and I think you guys are spot on. I mean, let's look at it from a children's perspective, right? I, I'm a father. I have three boys that are school aged. When you talk about reopening the schools, of which New Jersey first said they'd go, they were going to reopen it and then decided to renege on that because of the teachers union coming down hard, the American Academy of Pediatrics said that in-person learning is the primary and best way children can learn. Our state has become a single public health issue state, and that's scary. Well before when this pandemic first started, I predicted that mental health cases and suicide rates were going to climb, not to mention abuse and misuse of opioids. And guess what? That's exactly what's happening in this state. So it's not that we're saving lives, okay? When you look at the case fatality rates to COVID, they're the lowest we've ever seen, and yet we only focus on positivity and transmission rates. Well, look, 
People are going to catch the flu. People are going to catch COVID. You're going to do the best you can to mitigate the risk, but that doesn't mean you freeze in time your economy or your educational systems or your learning. And so that's what I think is the biggest bias and political, politically motivated decision-making done by Governor Murphy and other states that have Democrat governors that are acting based on polit political influence and bias. Let me give you one other quick example. I was with President Trump uh, on October 1st at his Bedminster fundraiser, okay? We were 40 feet away from each other, all social distancing, precautionary measures all taken in place. Hand sanitizers, face masks, you name it. The president wasn't walking around shaking hands. He was up, on, came through the portico, up at the podium, 40 to 50 feet away. The next day, the president tests positive for coronavirus, and then you start the fear-mongering by the governor, who basically just claimed that he was a super spreader, everyone was going to catch it. Well, guess what? Yesterday, they announced that not one person was tested positive for coronavirus, to which I said that he was being melodramatic, and he was, he was being melodramatic, and it was a political hit job to stifle my U.S. Senate campaign, of which he went on record to say that I should quarantine for 14 days. So he continues to try to protect the Democrat incumbents that are being challenged, and it's all political motivation here. It's not based in science. Uh, uh, that, is, that is perfectly... Uh, it's a perfect example, right? I mean, when I studied uh, statistics at uh, university, the professor constantly beat us up with the plural of anecdote is not data. But it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, one of the things that has happened about this disease is people have lost their minds. And, and it's been our contention that for the next few hundred years, at least, there are going to be phenomenal PhD dissertations written in, historian, in history departments, sociology departments, psychology departments, and they're going to compare it to the Salem witch trials. It's absolute madness. Um, this has occurred. You know, we were, uh, when my uh, wife was pregnant with one of our children in New York, that's when the H1N1 virus came in under Biden and Obama's watch. They did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. Their, their chief of staff said recently that they got lucky. They did absolutely everything wrong, right? And it's just a pure miracle. If H1N1 had had the virulence of COVID, bodies in the streets, right? But I remember they had a limited amount of vaccine, and because of uh, the danger to fetuses and, and, and young mothers, they were only giving the vaccine to pregnant women. Uh, and so all of my wife's friends were busy saying, can you take our basically 70 children with you to your appointments and pretend they're all yours so you, they can get the vaccine? Um, but at a policy level, right, where we are is uh, Cory Booker, who uh, I felt thought is, is, is a nightmare for a million reasons, uh, culminating with his disrespect of soon-to-be Justice Barrett uh, by refusing to even listen to her during her testimony and then coming back in and hurling ridiculous statements at her, um, which I think possibly you should you know, turn on him. Statements like, you know, to be fair to you, Judge, you should ask to, to pause these proceedings. It's fair to you. Um, how would Corey respond if you said, to be fair to you, Corey, in these difficult times, you should step aside from the Senate. Um, but in keeping with kind of where you are in the race and what we've read about the uh, uh, kind of likelihood in, in the race and the Republican Party, are they giving you any funding, Love? Is it is it is it been a hard road? Kind of where are you in, in this process? Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about that, the, the proceedings for Judge Barrett just for a minute, because I'm so disappointed but not surprised in the theatrics that Cory Booker has uh, 
given the country yet again. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just Spartacus revived, you know, part two. Uh, and it's so disappointing. You know, I, I, I jest about that. But when I actually see that, he's using it as a platform to deliver his stump speech, you know, to campaign in front of America, probably trying to set himself up for another presidential election. That's not what the Senate Judiciary Committee proceedings are meant to be. They're meant to be a confirmation process of which Judge Barrett, my goodness, you couldn't ask for a better legal pedigree, exceptional uh, person, someone that both men and women would look up to, both law professors like myself, law students, attorneys, uh, and and civics uh, historians would look up to. And he's just made a mockery out of it. So my question is, why would anyone even vote for Cory Booker, who's missed more than 65% of the votes? Now, to your original question, uh, you know, look, COVID had hit us hard. But I'll tell you right now, the Democrats continue to outraise us, but we continue to outperform them. We are up and down the state, and my opponent, Cory Booker, has not even campaigned in New Jersey once. He's been stumping for Biden in Pennsylvania, helping other Senate races in Alaska and, and all across the country. But the people of New Jersey, he doesn't answer any constituent calls. And I told you small businesses have continued to be crushed and Phil Murphy is sitting on billions of dollars of federal aid. We haven't had one Senate hearing or one U.S. senator from New Jersey reach out to the governor and say, hey, buddy, what's going on? Why don't you let these people have some money so they can feed their families? He doesn't care. He doesn't care more than just building his career off the backs of our proud communities. And if you challenge him, he'll race bait you. He'll call you racist. Now, someone like me who's grown up in the throes of racism, I can't begin to tell you what a mockery he's made about the actual, you know, issue of racism and his expansive views of that. It's just it's devastating. It's a disaster. And it just it's a slap in the face of every New Jerseyans. And that's one thing both Republicans and Democrats agree in New Jersey, that Cory Booker does not follow through. He doesn't do his job and he's bad for New Jersey. Speaking of race, what's your view on, you know, how we can kind of bring Americans back together and stop this decisiveness that's or division that's going on um, in our country right now? Yeah, well, there's a few things, right? So there is some racism in our country. I mean, there is, right? But it's is it systemic is the question. So you work on laws and policies that help advance the conversation, not fixated on. You know, my father came to this country in 1969, two years after the race riots tore through Newark. And yet Newark somehow has become trapped in time. How are you creating opportunities and economy in those inner cities, especially for the black and brown community that Cory Booker pretends to care so much about? What about opportunity zones and expanding that so you bring economies to blighted neighborhoods? How about school choice that doesn't keep kids trapped in their own zip code? Now, you know, as a public health, uh, former public health official, the number one determinant of good public health is the zip code you live in. Why would you keep kids trapped in that zip code then? It doesn't make sense. Their policies continue to conflict. If they care about the future of black and brown kids, then why not do something about it? These are the Republican policies. 50 years, Newark has been trapped. And guess what? 50 years, we haven't had a Republican U.S. senator. So it's time to do something different. I mean, what the hell do they have to lose? 30% poverty rates. My platform is built on breaking cycles of poverty. That's exactly what we'll do by creating economic opportunities, regardless of race, religion, and creed. That's that's the right platform to be running on. I mean, our our conviction has been um, that the, 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 the... Supposed divisiveness of the nation is more manufactured than real. Having right. lived and worked in multiple countries overseas, 
uh, where racism still really means something. People mean it. They they put baseball bats behind it, right? Really ugly, ugly stuff. Is there always going to be disharmony among human populations? Yes, but this this, this supposed miasma of systemic racism, uh, well, we don't think is, is, is something that's actually particularly real. One thing I think would be really curious um, to, to ask is, in sort of your journey, um, your experience of public health, uh, correct us if you're wrong, but you worked in the Obama administration, correct? Well, I was a consumer safety officer, so I served my country. I joined as a civilian. I started under the Bush administration, and I continued my job uh, to fight against big pharma and, uh, and illegal opioid makers. And actually, I saw the globalization of the supply chain before my eyes. In fact, I was sent to China on numerous occasions on behalf of the U.S. government to talk about ways in which we can protect our supply chain. That happened under the Obama-Biden administration to the point where I got so frustrated, I left. And I also left the Democrat Party at the time. I was a Democrat till 2012 and said, this is just disgusting. When are we going to start putting America first? Because remember, even before COVID, we were challenged with multiple different public health issues, one of them being contaminated drugs coming from China. Now, 80% of our active pharmaceutical ingredients are developed and made and manufactured in China. More than half of those Plants, manufacturing plants opened up under the Obama-Biden administration, where most of them in New Jersey shuttered. In fact, one of the main policy positions I have is repatriating and bringing back medical manufacturing to protect our supply chain while at the same time, and let me tell you this, because this is very important, doing so will lower the price of prescription drugs. The only one that benefits from globalized manufacturing are companies, not patients. And it's time we put our patients first. Essential medical manufacturing should never be in the hands of communist countries that don't have our best interest. Perfectly said. And how does that relate to, to a layer of bureaucracy that most Americans have zero understanding exists? This entire layer of bureaucrats that sit between pharmacies, doctors. Right. Right. You know, no, no, one, no one wakes up and feels sick and finds a uh, pharmacy benefits company to call and ask for a prescription, right? So... How did this entire layer of parasites start to exist with their formulary lists and their differential pricing? And is, is that part of your plan, too, to strip all that nonsense out? Absolutely. In fact, as a law and regulatory professor, I call it the regulatory pretzel. That's what we are. We've knotted ourselves into this pretzel of layers and layers of regulation, half of which, and I'll tell you right now, just like Cory Booker, most of the Democrat senators don't even read it. They just pass legislation. They have no idea what the ACA says. They just pass legislation, uh, sign off on it because it sounds good and it feels good and it helps their political agenda. Patients suffer. People with diseases, either pre-existing or future diseases, catastrophic conditions, they suffer. The, the Affordable Care Act is nothing, is nothing affordable about it. When you have deductibles in the tens of thousands of dollars, and right now, like I said, small businesses are being crushed, landlords are out of rent payments, and people continue to default on their loans. I mean, remember, a lot of people actually took personal guarantees in their loans just to start their small business. And now when they default, you're talking about crushed credit for potentially the right. rest of their life. Nobody's talking about that. So... I say that because healthcare must be affordable. The ACA doesn't do that. When you start to strip the layers of regulations that increase the cost of doing business and practicing medicine, that's when you can start to lower the price of healthcare and the price of prescription drugs. And you're right, PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers for years, uh, and, and let me tell you, they were able to consolidate under the Obama era 
right? CVS went from a 500, top 500 to a top five company. Uh, how did that happen? I mean, it's no surprise to anyone, right? And now you can't even negotiate. And you know who's getting crushed? It's the independent small pharmacies, the ones that care about your community, care yeah. about the people, and can offer not just services, but medicines, both in the same vein at lower prices. And so we've crushed competition, and that cuts against the grain of our country which is based on free market principles. Right. And we're certainly, from a healthcare standpoint, living in a different era. I mean, you can go into your doctor right now and see an advertisement on a drug that you think will fix a problem that you have and request that drug. And that's a very easy solution for a doctor just to get the script pad out and hand it right back to you as opposed to doing a full diagnosis. So patients are coming in with a predisposition of what drug they need to solve their problem. And, and that's something that's useful unique to the United States that doesn't happen in other countries that have, uh, you know, potentially stronger healthcare systems that aren't driven by pharma. So, you know, I, I completely agree with that. And I think along the supply, complete supply chain, there are problems at, at, at every point. Absolutely. Well, and, and let me tell you, you know, because as someone who's a proponent for medical innovation and medical manufacturing, we do need to bring that out. What we don't need to do is to pander and cater to big pharma and special interests, like my opponent, Cory Booker, who's taken millions of dollars from special interest companies like big pharma. I haven't, and I don't intend to, and I don't need to, because at the end of the day, I'm here fighting for patients, for seniors to, in order to, for them to afford their medicines and to make sure that we can continue to lower the price of prescription drugs. That's why I support the president's policies. You know, if President Trump uh, tomorrow said, well, I'm going to increase the price of drugs on seniors, I'm not going to support him. Right. But he's not. He's out there saying we're lowering the price of drugs. We're lowering the price of insulin. For You know, people don't understand that by lowering the price of insulin, allowing for diabetics to have access to this, you're actually avoiding long-term care catastrophic conditions like right. kidney failures and oh, others, lowering the price of health care altogether. So it's an entire continuum, which I can tell you right now, my opponent, Cory Booker, doesn't even understand the beginning of it. Oh, I'm sure not. I mean, insulin, insulin that you raised is a particularly egregious case because it was invented by an academic who instantly gave the rights to it for free to the world. Like right. insulin should, should be given away at, at, at pharmacies. Right. It literally should be a, 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 just a service to the society. It's appalling that's gotten so expensive. One question we have, which um, since you are much more kind of in the trenches talking to uh, constituents and hopefully potential constituents, um, do, do, do you, what are the arguments that are, are working well? Do people understand that when you say the free market, like they've been lied to since World War II, that the way you get health care is through insurance. And that was purely a, a reason for companies to get around paying higher marginal income tax rates on workers, right? That's why this entire nightmare started. And 99% of Americans don't even understand that. Um, but do you point to things like the free market competition always works? When you look at elective surgeries and elective procedures like cosmetic surgeries and the like that are never covered by insurance, Amazingly, price goes down and quality goes up. So right. you, you actually have real world examples of here's a market for, for medical services that insurance doesn't touch. And what happens in that market is what happens in every other market when you let consumers make a decision. Do you get any 
traction with trying to really explain to people why they've basically been lied to their entire lives. <laughs> the way you get health care is through an insurance card. Yeah. Well, that I think you just nailed it. I mean, that's probably one of the hardest things to explain to constituents about actually the delivery of health care. The problem is, is that a lot of this has just been packaged as sort of free or reimbursed without truly understanding what the cost is and understanding that when you have competition. But you go out there and it's easy to explain, right? You go to the shelves and you say, look, if you're at the grocery store and you're going to buy a, you know, a box of cereal, some of you might buy the brand. There might be a generic right next to it. You know, the point is you have choices, right? If you don't like mm-hmm. that cereal, it might be another one that's, you know, a generic or there's like 500 different kinds of cereals and they're all going to con- want to compete for your business. And so what the government has done through the ACA is taken the business aspects out of it and mandated so many things through legislation. They've put, they've injected the government into the way doctors practice medicine, and that's dangerous. In fact, so much so that we've seen since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, we're talking about 10 years stretch now, right? The rate of doctors getting burned out of their jobs and the quality of care decreasing. So the burnout rate of physicians and nurses have gone skyrocketing close to 50% of uh, family doctors, general practitioners and nurses, and the quality of care has started to go down. So instead of saying, well, we need to improve quality of care, what they do is slap on more regulations for patient safety, increasing the cost of doing business rather than allowing for those to compete to offer quality care and reduce that. And you know, one of the number one reasons why doctors and nurses have been burned out of their job, it's not because of, you know, the pricing wars. It has to do with administrative work. Mm. They actually injected data companies, technology, and others mandating electronic records where doctors now practice administration more than they practice medicine. And that's a disaster. And actually, nobody's talking about that. Those are the things that we need to unknot, you know, detangle this regulatory yeah. pretzel that I talk about and lower the cost of drugs, lower the cost of healthcare, and actually increase access to physicians. In fact, I'm actually very proud of as someone who owns, you know, professional services firm helping doctors navigate the regulatory uh, pretzel, as I call it. I'm very proud of the changes that uh, the uh, Trump administration has made to advancing uh, more reimbursement for telemedicine and other visits, especially during this time of COVID. You know, I think those are all good things, but we need to start getting government out of the way uh, med- medicine mm-hmm. is practiced and let doctors do their job. Right. I mean, one last example, and it should never have been so controverted, is accessing, for example, Plaquenil, hydroxychloroquine, when all of this first mm-hmm. started. Right. Some doctors saw good outcomes, some doctors didn't. The point is, let them make point of care decisions because they're on the front lines rather than trying to fit, you know, a square peg in a round hole through the FDA. And that's the, the important about burnout and the rest of it also has a really, really horrible impact on the incoming pipeline. James and I had the great pleasure of being at university together. And I don't know if, if James recalls, but until 1991, I was pre-medical. And when I spoke to every single doctor I knew and my family knew that summer between my second and third year, they all looked at me and said, are you out of your mind? Why would you want to do this? Right. And that was in, that was in the early 90s. And I just switched gears and never looked back, right? But but all the doctors I know um, that have talked about this, you hit it on the head, right? One one surgeon I know, a uh, brain surgeon who retired a few years ago, his great comment was the single stupidest thing the American medical community did was to say to patients, yeah, we'll handle that for you, the paperwork, 
right? Because when it first started, it wasn't a big right. deal. It was right. fill out this piece of paper. Had they understood that that would turn out to be a doctor's practice with a hypothetical three or four doctors, and instead of four nurses and maybe someone part-time for paperwork, to turn out to be four doctors, two nurses, and eight people doing paperwork, they would never have said yes to this. They should have said, great, I'm so glad, Mrs. Smith, that you have health insurance. That's wonderful. Here's my bill. Pay it. And go take their seat and go get paid by Aetna or whatever. Had they done that, that would have, first off, made Americans sensitive to the pain point of irritating paperwork, which in a real competitive economy would have meant that it would never have happened. Um, and it would have never have led to this, this burnout and this burgeoning stress on doctor's offices, who after all of that, end up getting sued repeatedly. So, right. And I think that's the problem with the paperwork. It's it's uh, CYA, right? It's they're uh, concerned about losing a, a massive medical malpractice lawsuit. And the numbers are absolutely astronomical. I mean, we all know doctors that say they break even in April or May after they pay their medical malpractice insurance. So, you know, I, I don't know, uh, Rick, what your thought is on um, litigation as it relates to medical cases and potentially eliminating some of this bureaucracy um, that's interwoven in, into our uh, healthcare system. But, you know, as a, a consumer of healthcare, that's what I see the problem as. Yeah. Well, it's a complicated issue. But the first thing is I, I couldn't agree with you more. America has a paperwork problem. We do. It, billions of, you know, uh, papers need to be filed for credentialing and licensing and yada, yeah. yada, yada that doctors have to do. But it also disproportionately impacts the minority communities, too. You know, they don't always know how to navigate. And you shouldn't have to be a lawyer in order to figure out, for example, how to start a business, right? That's to talk right. more broadly. And in this state, especially in New Jersey, you do. I mean, it is such a broken system here in New Jersey. Uh, you know, if you want to start a business, I mean, good luck. You're, you have a higher chance of being out of compliance and, you know, operating illegally than you do legally. Uh, and so that's a big problem. But we got to solve the paperwork. To your point about the, the uh, maybe tort reform in the you know, lit medical litigation system. Yeah. I mean, we definitely need to do something about that. And I'll tell you, you know, there's such a discrepancy between the number of cases that are brought before medical boards. Um, one of the hats I've worn in my previous uh, job is also I was an executive, do uh, executive director of a medical board. You know, and I've prosecuted doctors and, you know, revoked them of their licenses, many of who are doing very bad things, uh, you know, sexually abusing patients mm. um, or nurses stealing narcotics. Wow. The, you know, you have a system in place to go after doctors to suspend their license or, or nurses or others. Um, but, you know, the amount of, you know, frivolous lawsuits that are being brought um, is also out of control and in increasing the, the cost of uh, doing business in healthcare too. So yeah, there are two sides of that. And, uh, you know, the number of cases that medical, uh, you know, medical boards bring against doctors are just a, a percentage, a small percentage of the number of cases that doctors have to settle. In fact, many doctors have told me that, you know, if you're not sued at least once, you know, you're not doing your job. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that's fair. Uh, well, I mean, this is this. Well, I think we could go on forever. You got a lot of solid ideas. The people in New, Jer New Jersey would do far better uh, to replace uh, Cory Booker uh, with you, and he could go hang out with his girlfriend somewhere else. Um, are there any sort of ma major sort of closing points that that we haven't touched on, or that you really want people to to get a sense of of, of just how bad a road they've been going down for all these years, and why they should snap out of it and take a new path? 
And also, uh, you know, mention how they can make a donation and get behind your campaign or contribute or help uh, in, in some fashion as well. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, we're building a great grassroots movement all up and down the state. You know, many people have really embraced my campaign because it's refreshing for them. I'm not, I've, I have four degrees, I've done many things. The one thing I've never done is play politics. I'm not a career politician. In fact, I think that's one of my strengths because I'm here and I've jumped into this race because I care about the future of New Jersey. I care about how my kids are gonna grow up here. In fact, the reason I jumped in this race when I spoke to my wife is I said, you know, I'm, I'm really disturbed about the direction New Jersey's headed. You know, we need someone to change that. And she said, well, Rick, why don't you do it? And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I have a lot to offer. Let's do it. And yeah. I'm, I'm very honored to, uh, to build as much momentum we have. You know, again, uh, being the first person of color to win the nomination for the Republican ticket and the first American of Indian origin for Democrats or Republicans. Uh, but putting identity politics, you know, aside, the beliefs and the values we haven't equivocated on, the things that I stand for, constitutional principles, protecting First Amendment and our Second Amendment rights, Um, as someone who's a father, protecting our children, both unborn and born. Those are things that are very important for me. So those that are out there that are looking to get involved, to get involved on the excitement that we've been building, go to rickforenj.com. That's R-I-K-F-O-R-N-J.com. Reach out, get in touch. I respond to all my messages, unlike Cory Booker. The last thing I want to mention is (laughs) Cory Booker. You know, he, both Democrats and Republicans, the state of New Jersey can agree that that man doesn't do his job. For more than a month, Cory Booker went on News Channel 12 and agreed to debate me. He hasn't returned one phone call. My, my office has been reaching out to him every single day to get it scheduled. Mm-hmm. Never returned a call. He's an empty suit making empty promises that's hurt not just the black and brown community of New Jersey, but every New Jerseyan alike from South Jersey to North Jersey, has suffered at Cory Booker's failures. Now, many people don't even realize that Cory Booker represents them and that he's actually running a statewide race. People mistake him for being either a North Jersey senator or a guy from Newark. It's time that we had a senator that represents the entire state, that Mm -hmm. wants to fight for small businesses, that can actually work on policies that'll end the COVID crisis, make sure we're prepared for any other pandemic moving forward, fix our broken healthcare system, lower the price of drugs, and make sure that people can live and achieve the American dream. That's why people should vote for me. That's why people should fire Cory Booker. That's why people should go to Rick for NJ, R-I-K-F-O-R-N-J.com. Well, you've, you've got Wonderful. us convinced, absolutely. And we will echo and scream that, that call to Cory uh, to come on out and debate. Really, if, if you're so fabulous, Cory, and so great, you've got such a better vision for Jersey, why don't you come talk about it? Be wonderful, rather than posturing and screaming at Supreme Court justices who are absolutely going to be confirmed, and both of whom, Kavanaugh and and Barrett, should have been confirmed 100 to zero. Right. There's no reason not to be. Uh, absolutely. So, Rick, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us. We will hope to amplify your message as much as we possibly can, uh, and good luck in November. And we hope to find out that you're going to be the uh, incoming senator, Meta. We'll be very excited about that. And hopefully, we'll get a T-shirt. thank you gentlemen i appreciate i'll definitely send you that shirt thank you so much (laughs) we really uh, appreciate you being on the show good luck with the campaign thank you take care cheers have a good day